Hello and welcome to the Dr. Jones Veterinary Secrets Podcast. This is episode 89. In today's podcast, we're discussing human food that your dog should never eat, when and how to induce vomiting, and when not to. Dogs with allergies, why you should be concerned about the new veterinary drugs, and an effective herbal option. The disturbing news story of 500 French Bulldog puppies being shipped on a plane to Canada. Veterinary Secrets is on all your favorite podcast apps, including Spotify, iTunes, and Stitcher. I'd love it if you'd subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Questions or comments, feel free to post a comment on my blog at veterinarysecrets.com forward slash blog. This week's podcast is being sponsored by my new supplement, Dr. Jones's Ultimate Canine Advanced Health Formula. It includes essential fatty acids, 95% curcumin, antioxidants, additional probiotics, additional colostrum. All of these ingredients can potentially help your allergic dog, and this may be the easy way to stop your dog from itching. It's available at www.thedogsupplement.com forward slash advanced. Now let's get right into today's podcast. These are a list of the common human foods that you should never be feeding your dog. First, avocado, especially avocado leaves, the seeds, and the bark. They contain a toxic principle known as persin. The Guatemalan variety is most toxic. They all have toxic potential, primarily cause GI distress or vomiting and diarrhea. Chocolate in all forms. The toxic ingredient in chocolate is theobromine, is a compound that is a cardiac stimulant, as well as being a diuretic. The toxic dose is two baking squares for a 10 pound dog. So it's the dark chocolate, and that's why I'm talking about the baking squares. Fortunately, regular sort of plain non-dark chocolate bars have very little real chocolate and they're seldom toxic. The biggest thing here is when you being aware that chocolate is fairly seriously toxic, a small amount of really dark, dark chocolate uh, can cause problems. It causes primary neurologic problems. And third, that you can have a good guess as to the amount your dog has consumed and just know whether you should be concerned or not. Fatty foods. The primary concern here is severe gastrointestinal upset in some cases, pancreatitis. The biggest thing here is the animal fats, you know, such as like gravy, bacon. A little bit of fat is okay. Excessive amount of, you should really be avoiding giving excessive amount to your dog or cat. Macadamia nuts. Well, they contain an unknown toxin which can affect the digestive and nervous systems and muscles of dogs. This has even led to paralysis. A small number of nuts and even the nut butter can cause this. Moldy or spoiled foods, many molds contain a type of toxin called an aflatoxin. This is thought to be a common cause of a condition I often saw in veterinary practice called compost toxicity. These were dogs that are eating stuff out of the compost and they would come in with GI signs of vomiting and diarrhea, muscle tremors, incoordination, elevated temperature, excessive salivation, and and in some cases, even liver damage. Primarily, treatment was supportive, but it's just you never eat moldy foods. Don't be feeding those to your dog. Onions, onion powder. Onions contain the toxic ingredient called thiosulfate. A small amount of onions are completely fine to give to your dog. The issue is if they're to eat excessive numbers. Fortunately, that seldom happens. But the big thing here is being aware of this and just, you know, not including excess number of onions, you know, say if you're making a stew for your dog. Raisins and grapes. 
This is a big one in that we don't really know. Most dogs can eat grapes and they're fine. There's a small percent, maybe 5% of dogs can get seriously sick. We're just not really clear which ones are going to get sick, which ones won't. They've seen as few as six grapes actually cause acute kidney failure in some dogs. We don't know what the toxic ingredient is. The big principle here is one, don't be feeding it, your dog any grapes. Number two, if you need to be concerned, it's going to be generally after they've consumed grapes, within one to two hours, they're going to have GI signs of vomiting, vomiting, diarrhea. If they don't have any GI signs, then they're probably going to be okay. Yeast dough, and the big thing here, we've got yeast dough, uncooked bread dough. It's going to rise in your dog's stomach, causing severe gastrointestinal distress, bloating, signs of alcohol toxicity, obviously avoiding feeding yeast to your dog. Xylitol, this is a huge one. It's an artificial sweetener increasingly found in an array of different products labeled as sugar-free gum candy i've actually even seen it in a special type of a you know mouth cleanser for dogs and what it does it can cause a sudden drop in blood sugar resulting in incoordination collapse seizures the body sort of reads it as excess sugar produces all this insulin and then your dogs actually get this sudden drop in blood sugar so never be feeding one, you know, not, never any of this artificial sweeten anything. Really read the labels well, anything that says it's got artificial sweetener. And just period, just avoid feeding xylitol to your dogs. Apples, apricots, cherries, peaches, plums. The big thing here is the fruits of these are all fine, but it's the stems, but especially the seeds that are the issue. And part of what sort of got me um, going on to including this in today's podcast is my neighbor's dog, Pippi. She consumed far too many apples. She actually crunched down and consumed all these apple seeds, making herself really sick. What they contain is a cyanide type compound showing signs of toxicity, including apprehension, show dilated pupils, difficulty breathing, hyperventilation, and shock. The big thing, the fruit's fine, but especially avoiding the seeds, especially in excess numbers. Potato peelings, green looking potatoes. You would think green potatoes are fine, but no. They actually contain a toxic ingredient called solanine. And if they are eaten in large enough amounts, they can produce drooling, severe gastrointestinal upset, loss of appetite, drowsiness, central nervous system, depression, and even like a type of psychosis, believe it or not. So anything green, green looking potatoes, do not be feeding those to your dogs. The last one I want to mention is nutmeg. I mean, I use a lot, say in curries, for instance, it can be seriously toxic to your dog. High levels of nutmeg can even be fatal. The toxin component, not known. Signs of toxicity include tremors, seizures, nervous system abnormalities, or even death. If you've got a dog, avoid nutmeg at all times. A bit of an update on vomiting, when to induce vomiting in your dogs following a poisoning. For sure, you know, one of the more common emergency calls I got in my veterinary practice, I've got a dog, he's eating something, I'm like, doc, what do I do? Do I induce vomiting? Maybe there's a long way away from the veterinary clinic or they can't afford to come in. So it's important, one, you're aware of what, what options you have, and two, what should you be using in the first place? Some of the common mistakes I saw are, one, people using the wrong type of ingredient to cause vomiting, or number two, inducing vomiting in the wrong situations. Number one, vomiting should only be induced in pets when they've consumed the toxic ingredient somewhere between 60 to 120 minutes, one to two hours. If it's been four, five, six hours, more than likely that those ingredients have already left the stomach. So inducing vomiting is not going to be beneficial. In veterinary practice, the drugs we typically use was one called apomorphine, but also at times we use hydrogen peroxide and that's something that you can use at home. And that really is the only safe ingredient to induce vomiting. 
Cats are generally a different story. Unfortunately, there isn't really no so extra reliable ingredient in veterinary practice. Typically, we would either use hydrogen peroxide and sometimes I would use xylazine. When should you not induce vomiting or inducing vomiting in the wrong situations? First of all, it's been more than if it's been several hours since ingestion, don't induce vomiting. You have to be really cautious if you're inducing vomiting in some of these breeds with these pushed in faces called brachycephalics, such as the pugs. It's much more likely with the brachycephalics that they can then aspirate on that vomitus, and that's the last thing you want. Do not induce vomiting uh, if you've got a dog that is unable to swallow or appears to have a really decreased responsiveness. Once again, last thing we want is for them to aspirate on that vomitus. There's certain ingredients that you don't want to vomit up again. So excess salt, you know, things such as paintballs, a whole bunch of table salt, homemade Play-Doh, corrosive or caustic agents, gasoline, kerosene, motor oil. So if it's been one to two hours, say your dog got into some compost, he's yet to show serious clinical signs, then it's a good idea to consider inducing vomiting. So what would you use? You would use 3% hydrogen peroxide. The dose is one teaspoon per 10 pounds of body weight. Wait 10 minutes. If your dog hasn't vomited in 10 minutes, you can repeat it, but generally just you would repeat it two times. The big thing I find with using hydrogen peroxide is that you need to make sure that your dog gets enough and it gets into their mouth. So if you can draw it up, in, up into a syringe, squirt it in the side of their mouth, lift their head up, so then they actually swallow it. Then you know that they're getting the actual measured amount. Neutralizing the toxin. So for some of these other toxins, i.e. something that's caustic, say such as drain cleaner and alkaline toxin, it's best neutralized with something acidic such as vinegar, dosing the vinegar at one teaspoon per 10 pounds of body weight. If your dog had consumed an acidic toxin such as battery acid, it's best neutralized with something alkaline such as milk of magnesia, dosing it at one teaspoon per 10 pounds of body weight. And lastly, I encourage you guys all to have on hand a product called activated charcoal. It's readily available at all pharmacies. It delays absorption of the, any toxin by binding to the toxic component in the stomach and the intestinal tract. You can give it in a capsule form, you can give it in a liquid form. The standard dose is one gram per kilo. Dogs with allergies. You know, there are many causes of itching and scratching, yet environmental allergy, also known as atopy, is the most common. Unfortunately now, this is a multi-billion dollar industry for the big drug companies. There's a bunch of new drugs. There's one such called Atopica. The actual name of the drug is Cyclosporin. The company says that this is a proven product for atopic dermatitis in dogs, but it's working in part by suppressing the immune system. And consider this, that the same drug is used to stop organ transplant rejection. Then there is a new drug called Cytopoint, which the company claims will provide long-lasting itch relief for any dogs with allergic or atopic dermatitis. Ah, finally, your sweet furry friend can get allergic itch relief that lasts and lasts. Just one Cytopoint injection, safely relieving constant dog itch due to allergic or atopic dermatitis for four to eight weeks. Wow, now an injection every one to two months. Unfortunately, it's got the potential for serious side effects. It's modulating the immune response. Then lastly, the other new drug is called Apoquil. And according to the company, Apoquil, known as the, the drug name Octolonib, provides fast, safe, and effective relief. So you and your dog can get back to doing what you love. They say that next to you, Apoquil is a dog's best friend. Ask your veterinarian for Apoquil today. 
Apoquil also in part works by suppressing the immune response. Once again, potential for serious side effects. So what do you do? Like, do you stick with these pretty serious medications? And if you've got a dog that's got serious atopy and you've tried everything, fair enough. But there are an array of different holistic and alternative options. And I encourage you to explore those first. You've tried an array of different things. Nothing is working. Okay, maybe consider some of these big guns, but temporarily. I'd be really cautious about using something like an injection that lasts four to eight weeks. So this is a new herbal allergy relief option. The plant is called butterbur. It's a shrub that grows in Europe and parts of Asia and North America, typically in wet marshy ground. The name butterbur is attributed to the traditional use of using its large leaves to wrap butter in warm weather. In the Middle Ages, it was used for plague and fever, and in the 17th century, it was used to treat cough, asthma, and skin wounds. More recently, it has been used for urinary tract symptoms, stomach upset, headaches, including migraines, allergic rhinitis, and other conditions. Commercial butterbur products that contain extracts from the root, the rhizome, or leaves of the plant are available. So what do we know about it? Well, in one study it was recently published in the British Medical Journal, a group of researchers in Switzerland, they showed just how one tablet of butterbur extract given four times a day was as effective as a popular antihistamine drug in controlling symptoms of hay fever without the traditional symptoms of drowsiness that sometimes occur. In a second study presented at the 60th annual meeting of the American Academy of Allergy, these group of re researchers put their stamp of approval on Butterbur's effectiveness in quelling symptoms of grass allergy. Several studies looking at safety and a few studies of children reported that there are specific products called PA-free Butterbur products that are safe and well tolerated when taken by mouth and recommended doses for up to 16 weeks. So likely you can draw the same comparison then that those would also be safe for our dogs. The big thing here is that you're taking specific, a specific Butterbur product that is designed for allergy, designed for long-term use, and they are PA or pyrolozidine free. A typical dog dose would be 0.5 milligrams per pound twice daily, meaning a 50 pound dog would take 25 milligrams twice a day. And once again, just ensure that the capsule is meant for people. Lastly, the fairly disturbing story of 38 French bulldog puppies being found dead among a nightmare shipment of 500 dogs imported on a Canada-bound plane from the Ukraine. Canadian officials have launched an investigation after the horrible discovery of more than a dozen dead puppies on board a cargo plane from the Ukraine that landed at the Toronto airport last week. Some 500 French bulldog puppies, 38 of which were dead, were found on a plane operated by the Ukrainian International Airlines, according to the Canadian Food Inspection Agency. The flight from Ukraine had landed at the Toronto Pearson Airport on June 13. The puppies that survived were found to be in poor condition, suffering from symptoms including dehydration, weakness, and vomiting, the CFIA said in a statement. CFAI officials are currently investigating the circumstances surrounding the incident and will determine the next steps once the investigation is complete, the statement said. Ukrainian International Airlines also issued a statement offering its condolences for the tragic loss of animal life on our flight. It said it was working with local authorities in, in the investigation. Abby Lorenzen, a show dog handler, was picking up a different animal from the area where the puppies were found and described it as a horror scene. It was just a nightmare, Lorenzen told CBC News. Canada and the federal government need to change the laws on the importation of these puppies, she added. French Bulldogs are a popular breed in Canada and sales are lucrative. Scott Weiss of the University of Guelph told the CBC, We have no idea how many dogs come in and where they go, where they come from, 
adding that there could even be a potentially organized crime component. During COVID-19, demand for puppies has gone way up. Long waiting lists, no puppies to be had. Then you've got these unscrupulous individuals who could care less about the puppies and they're just seeing big dollars. You would think that there would be massive fines, jail time, but very little seems to happen to these people. In Canada, the laws are very lax. Consider this, you know, every year there's thousands of unsuspecting Canadians purchasing, thinking they're purchasing their dream purebred dog from online ads and breeders. Unfortunately, what many of these pet owners are unaware of is that many of these dogs are coming from overseas puppy mills and they're distributed throughout Canada via puppy mill broker. Although these puppies look adorable and healthy at first, often they are suffering immensely. Common illnesses from these pups include mycoplasma, bordetella, pneumovirus, pneumonia, worms, giardia. The vet bills from puppy mill dogs unfortunately can leave their owners out thousands of dollars just to save the puppy's life, or worse, the puppy can die shortly after purchase. Often the condition of these facilities is beyond humane, filthy and complete animal abuse. Currently, there's a petition going around. I've signed the petition. I encourage you to do so as well. The petition URL is at change.org forward slash Canadian government. Stop the importation of puppy mill dogs. Well, thanks so much for you guys listening to this edition of the Veterinary Secrets podcast. That was podcast 89. Questions or comments, send me an email at podcast at veterinarysecrets.com. And lastly, I encourage you to leave a comment on my blog. It's veterinarysecrets.com forward slash blog. So once again, thanks for listening. I'll talk to you again next week. This is Dr. Jones.